0: Welcome to The Well Woman Show, where we interview women
1: executives, leaders and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to The Well Woman Show. Where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to The Well Woman Show.
0: Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks.
1: To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible.
0: You're listening to The Well Woman Show. Just, you're gonna be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from
1: it. One way or another, good or bad. Being yeah. a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to The Well Woman Show,
0: and now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed with your responsibilities and it seems like you'll never get it all done? Well, you're not alone. We all need to remember to use our superpowers, the ones we already have but don't use all the time, and take advice and wisdom from one another. Towards the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to keep on being the well woman you are. I'm so happy you're here. So thanks for tuning in. Today's topic is changing your relationship with money to achieve your financial goals. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to examine your habits and ideas around money. Think about how you manage your choices rather than just how you manage your finances and open up conversations with business and life partners about how you both handle money. My guest today is Jaquette Timmons, financial behaviorist, founder of Sterling Investment Management Inc., a financial coaching and education company, and the author of *Financial Intimacy: How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate*. Through coaching for singles and couples, training for corporations and nonprofits, speaking and writing, she helps her clients figure out the best actions to take and choices to make to ensure their money is working for them. Jaquette's work has been featured on Good Morning America, CNN, Fox, Black Enterprise, NPR, and the Wall Street Journal. Today I speak with Jaquette about identifying what influences the choices we make around money adjusting those choices to make the best decisions possible, communicating with your partner to make sure you're on the same page with finances, and being true to yourself and working with your strengths. The free giveaway today is Jaquette's financial wheel exercise. Just go to wellwomanlife.com slash 032 show. I love this exercise because it clearly shows you what kind of choices you're making around money and where in your financial decision-making process, you're hitting road bumps. And the awesome team at Well Woman Life has created an annual retreat that serves as a rejuvenating and empowering place to revisit your inner power and connect with other powerful women, all while being pampered by beautiful surroundings and delicious, healthy food. I've been mentioning this retreat several times on the podcast. Now we're coming to the point where you need to get your ticket. If you want to get the early bird deal, Uh, I think you can still do that. Go to wellwomanlife.com slash events slash retreat. It's the Well Woman Superpower Retreat, and it will bring together powerful women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs on October 26th for a full day journey through finding and using your superpowers in your professional and personal life. So don't miss it. Definitely join us for that. And now my interview
1: with Jaquette.
0: I'm speaking with Jaquette Timmons this afternoon. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so very much. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Well, I'm excited to talk to you.
0: and um, in, in the introduction, I mentioned that you're a financial behaviorist and I, I think that's so interesting. Can you talk about what that is and what what do you do and how does that impact women's lives?
1: Sure. So to help explain um, the title, I think it's helpful to understand my perspective and I guess my philosophy when it comes to money. Um, And that is that I don't believe that you manage money so much as you manage your choices. And therefore, when it comes to, quote unquote, managing your money, what typically happens is people are focused on just making the numbers work, you know, shifting those around. If you do that enough, you'll end up with the result that you want. And With my philosophy, it's like, yes, the numbers matter. They do need to add up to something, but you also need to address what influences that. And so in my work, it is helping people figure out what do they need to do to make smarter, to make better, to make more strategic choices as it pertains to their money, because at the end of the day, I truly believe that money is all about behavior and choices. So focus on that from an emotional standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, from a habits and a discipline standpoint, focus on that. And then you'll be able to influence the results and hopefully get the results that you want.
0: So it's a more holistic, um, mindful approach to
1: money. I would say yes I and, and so yes, I would say yes um, but I, I I hesitate in embracing it in without really um, people understanding I guess how I approach the holistic standpoint mm-hmm. and that is that it's very practical and it's very uh, like you're measuring things. So it's not, you know, staying at the 30,000 foot level holistic, Mm -hmm. but it is making sure that you're bridging that 30,000 foot holistic with the 1,000 foot. What do you need to do on a daily basis? Yeah,
0: I mean, it seems to me that what you're saying is (laughs) instead of approaching your money from in a a sort of finite, you know, do this, this and this, like one plus one is two, instead instead of simply looking at the numbers, you are actually adding your own behavior, your own emotions, your own personality to
1: the equation. Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yep. And is that popular with men? I I can imagine that women are are really into that. But are men also?
1: Yes. You know, you might be really surprised Mm. to know um, that I have well, I work with singles and couples on, in my coaching practice, um, but I tend to have not only a lot of couples, which would include men in a lot of instances, but I also have a lot of male-only clients. Um, and I think one of the things that they are attracted to when it comes to working with me is because it's the practical aspect of it. Um, because a lot of the men that I work with ironically enough, work in finance. Some of them are traders. And so Mm. they don't come to me because they need, you know, help with figuring out how to necessarily save more or how to invest because they've got that piece. They've got that piece under control. But what they often come to me about is how do they um, communicate and show up and be a better financial partner with their partner. Mm. So, um, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's, it's not, um, gender specific or gender based at all, even though I do understand that there are certain, you know, considerations and issues that women have to deal with and address. Not that are so much that are different than what men have to deal with and address, but the consequences of when women don't deal with it and address it are very different. Oh, give us some examples of those. Well, I think one of the things that, you know, if we, I don't have this, this stat off the top of my head, but, um, it's something that I addressed in my book, financial intimacy. And it's this whole idea that at some point in a woman's lifetime, she's going to be single, whether she's, you know, single her entire life, whether she's married and gets divorced, whether she's married and becomes a widow at some point, she's going to end up single and therefore responsible for her financial life. Um, and if we don't take into account that for those that are partnered and, you know, perhaps are not as engaged in their family finances as one would hope they are, when that moment comes, they are more susceptible to making financial choices and decisions that might not be in their best interests.
0: Hmm. Okay. And what are some of the specific things that you help women with or couples, like um, what's the first step? Like, what do you, what do you tell people to do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Ooh, what's behind this? Yeah. What's going on here? (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Well, the, one of the very first things that I help people do is just really figure out, well, where are you right now? Um, where are you in terms of your numbers? Where are you in terms of how you think about money? How do you feel about money? What are your current habits? Um, what are your current strengths? Because I think that that's something that we need to focus on, not just what you do wrong, but also what you do well. So we start off with, you know, taking an inventory of where are you now? How are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And what do you want? And then that then becomes the springboard for figuring out, well, how do we then get from point A to point B? And I will walk people through, a variety of exercises that will help them to tap into their values, that will help them to tap into uh, their preferences, their beliefs about money, their goals, um, help them tap into where they might need to be a little bit more discerning, where they might need to be a little bit more uh, creative. And then what we'll do is then break off and then hone in on each of the four different areas, because very broadly, regardless of where you fall on the income spectrum, regardless of where you fall on the wealth spectrum, there are really four things that you can do with your money, earn it, save it, invest it, and spend it. And so the question becomes, is that unfolding in the way that you actually want it to, A, and then B, is that unfolding with you driving the decisions uh, by design, as I like to call it? as opposed to you being a passenger in those decisions mm-hmm. and just responding to things in, in a reactionary way.
0: Yeah. And well, then
1: that all leads to a plan. <laughs> I should put that there because that's important.
0: <laughs> right. So you end up, you end up with a plan. to You follow. end up
1: with a plan. You end up connecting the dots. You end up with a plan. And what I always tell people is that that plan is a, le- a living, breathing, uh, document right. It's not something that you you once you create it, and it doesn't have to be anything you know elaborate and fancy. But once you create it, it's not the kind of thing where you set it on the on the shelf and then never look at it again. Like the the whole idea is that you've created this blueprint, if you will, and the the intent is that you will will review that blueprint so that you either can. Uh, measure your progress because you need to do that. In my opinion, you need to have, you know, some benchmarks that you are tracking and then track them and measure your progress or use that as, uh, insight and information for when you need to pivot and do something differently. Okay. So if someone already
0: has a financial advisor and they're, you know, working somewhat on, you know, their retirement and their investing and things, uh, is is there a need to go in and see a, a financial behaviorist like you as well, or is or have they or are they sort of taken care of if they've already got a financial advisor?
1: It depends on the financial advisor. So I actually work with people who already have a financial advisor that's taken care of the technical aspects of their you know portfolio and their investments, but that advisor either has no interest in or doesn't have the experience in helping them with the behavioral side of why do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of my work is really on, why do you do what you do? Understanding that because that's going to influence the choices that you make and the actions that you take. So with the person that has a financial advisor, one role that I can help them with is making sure that you are asking the right questions of that advisor so that you can be certain that they're doing for you what you actually think they're doing for you Mm -hmm. and what you understand that they are doing for you. Um, So that's one role, like, you know, serving as that um, invisible third party that's sitting on your shoulder when you're talking with that person to make sure that they are, in fact, doing what's in your best interest as you understand it.
0: Okay. And on the show, we always give a free, a free giveaway f- from the, from the guest. If, if the guest wants to uh, offer something, I'm, I'm wondering if you have like a checklist for people to use uh, that they can download that is, uh, talks about this.
1: Well, I don't have a checklist, but what I do have, I think is, um, even better in my not so humble. opinion. Okay. <laughs> checklist. Um, And that would be an exercise that I call the financial wheel. Um, Oh, yes. Yeah. And the reason why I highly recommend the financial wheel is because it is designed, going back to my whole point before about making choices, it's designed to help you make better smarter choices with your money it's designed to help you figure out you know what aspects of your game plan do you need to improve do you need to edit do you need to focus on whether that's you know focusing on saving investing spending and earning and i walk people through a very particular approach to answering several different questions in each of those different domains so that you can see not only how each of those domains are independently, but also look at the interdependent relationship so that you can just make some tweaks and make sure that you are in the front leading your financial life as opposed to being in the front being pushed by. Okay. So I I always like to say to folks, you know, this is all about giving you the tools, um, again, just to make sure that you're making smart, um, and, and smarter and better choices about what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it.
0: Okay. And talk a little bit about when you work with someone with a partner and whether that's a husband or wife or, or whatever, but, um, what are you seeing in terms of, um, couples working this out together or not being able to work it out together and needing help to do it?
1: I think the biggest issue that happens with couples is that there's an, uh, an assumption, an, an, an unspoken assumption that the other person thinks the way you think about money, approaches financial decisions the way in which you approach them, and also has the same financial habits as you do. And very rarely do people think about um, what happens when those differences bump up against one another. Or when they do think about it, it's only in response to um, something that went awry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, one of the examples that I love to use with people is, you, you know, a lot of people probably that grew up in the same household and yet they are very different on a number of different ways, including how they manage money. So why would you expect <laughs> that the person that you are with will be exactly like you? Um, that's just a anecdotally. But there's also research that actually speaks to the fact that nine times out of 10, you are going to attract someone who is your financial opposite. So I think one of the biggest issues when it comes to couples is that the idea of being with the financial opposite only comes to mind when there's a financial problem. And for me, the issue is not trying to turn that person into you or vice versa, but really kind of setting the stage for having ongoing conversations about money so that you can figure out how best to negotiate and navigate those differences so that you're both on the same page, moving in the same direction. Uh, So that would be one. The second thing is to recognize that just because you've become a couple doesn't mean that your individual goals go away. So you're really managing You know, your goals, the other person's goals, and then your goals as a couple. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a Venn diagram with all three of those circles Mm -hmm. intersecting. And oftentimes you've got to make some choices around, well, which goal or goals are we going to focus on and make a priority? But I think oftentimes, everybody's trying to like, you know, feed each of the goals. And sometimes that's not the best use of time, resources, and energy, but you don't really take a step back to see that full picture so that you can get an agreement about what you're going to focus on. So what would you advise uh, women,
0: since we're on the Well Woman Show, what would you advise women who may be wanting to have a closer uh, relationship about money with their spouse? And their spouse isn't on board yet?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is to come up with a set of questions that you are curious about, that you you want to discuss. That's the first thing. Second is answer those questions yourself. And they don't need to be fully answered. They can be, you know, answers that you are in the process of fully formulating. My point is, I don't think that there is any question that is off the table unless it's a question that you wouldn't be willing to answer if asked. So come up with the questions that you're curious about, whether that question is a you know, technical, i.e., uh, you know, um, how do you manage, how, you know, how do you manage money? Like how do you arrive? Not even how do you manage money? How do you arrive at the financial decisions that you make or how do you handle the trade-offs? It can be something like that, or it can be, you know, depending upon how long you've been dating the person or, you know, hopefully you know this already if you're living with them or married to them, but um, (laughs) it could be, you know, what's your credit score? Um, I don't advise that unless you're really serious in a relationship. Um, um, but it can be questions around like that, or it can be questions around, you know, tell me about, um, money when you were growing up, what did you see? Like, for example, if, I, if you don't mind, if I mm-hmm. use a, a coaching client to just kind of yeah. pinpoint that, um, this was a couple that actually lived it together before they got married. And money didn't become an issue until after they got married. And one of the reasons it became an issue is because the wife thought, well, of course, once we get married, everything is going to be joint. Where did that come from? That came from how she grew up, mm-hmm. where her father was a, a business owner. Her mother was a stay-at-home mom. And even though the father was the you know breadwinner, The mother took care of everything, but every, you know, all of the financial stuff, but everything was in a joint account. So she just automatically assumed without ever having any conversation that, again, of course, once we get married, this is exactly what we're going to do. The husband, on the other hand, grew up, parents divorced, both parents professionals, both parents have, you know, their own earning, their their own separate accounts. I don't know what things were like while they were married, but certainly as, you know, a divorced family, (laughs) they had their separate things. Mm. So he never even thought about, well, we're going to have joint accounts. No, when we were living together, we had yours and mine. And so of course we're going to continue to do that. So it's this whole idea of you are those silent expectations, those silent, um, influences that you bring to the table that you presume the other person is on board with without ever having discussed it.
0: Mm, okay. That's a good example. Um, and so I want to just back up and, and, uh, revisit part of your bio, which is that you, uh, you worked on wall street, You have, Mm -hmm. you have a very intense, like financial services background and also you then went and got some degrees. What are your, do you have degrees related to like behavioral sciences or something?
1: I don't have degrees related to behavioral sciences, but I, you know, when I went for my MBA in finance. We certainly took behavioral economics um, Mm as a as a uh, core. So I'm not an economist, um, so I can't, you know, put that label on there. But given that I have worked in the industry now since 1986, I have been managing money and dealing with people and their money um, since probably 19... Uh, Let's see here. When did I finish business school? So 1992. I would say that that's that's a long enough period of time (laughs) (laughs) Um, to have my feet very, very, very well entrenched in this space. Um, And I think it's helpful for people to, you know, perhaps know what sparked my curiosity in yeah. this. And, and that is um, seeing up close and personal when we had the uh, crash in 1987 and seeing people who, if they had the ability to jump out of a window, either because of the money that they lost or the money that they lost for clients, they would have. Mm-hmm. And contrasting that with other people, same trading floor, same environment, who were just as calm and almost as if, this just happens and it will pass and everything will be okay. And that really, really fascinated me. It was almost like, huh, why are you freaking out? And <laughs> Why are you so calm? <laughs> mm.
0: And so what was I, your role at the time? Where well, were you? I mean,
1: I was, I was only a year out of undergrad. So I, you okay. know, I was a junior person, um, very junior person. Um, and so, uh, It was just one of those things where I didn't even have the language back then to even call it behavioral finance or even to say that, you know, I saw the psychology and the emotions of money playing out. At that time, it was simply, this is really interesting. Mm. (laughs) And then that got amplified uh, by my work in the private bank where I started off in operations and then moved on to starting a business within the business of the private bank, managing money for high net worth individuals, and really just got a chance to see up close and personal how perhaps from a marketing standpoint, also from a cultural and social standpoint, we make these huge uh, proclamations about how, you know, um, Wealthy people are different in terms of how they approach money than people are different than people of lesser means. And while there is some truth in that uh, comparison, there's more truth to the fact that at the end of the day, everybody is looking for the exact same thing. Everybody wants to feel confident. Everybody wants to feel more in control. And everybody wants to feel like they are... um, experiencing as much freedom as they possibly can from their choices and from their scope of control as possible around their money and so for me it became also fascinating about really kind of chipping away at this myth that says um, because you have money you don't have questions you don't have challenges you don't have concerns that's a myth and but then also for those people that say, well, because you have lesser means that you don't know what you're doing with your money, that drives me up a wall when either of those uh, myths are perpetuated. Mm. And
0: so what in your own personal background has driven you to to be in this industry, this very ma- white male dominated industry, and you're, you're neither uh, white or male. And so how, how has that been for you to grow up in that industry?
1: You know, it's been really fascinating because it's not the industry that I would have thought I would have been in. Um, I went to undergrad thinking that I was going to be a shoe designer. Uh, <laughs> I'm a long way from being a shoe designer. Yeah. Um, but while I was still in undergrad, I met the woman who would become my mentor. And um, she, you know, hired me. She She hired me to work with her. Um, right out of school, when she was the head of human resources at a cosmetics company. And then um, three months later, I think, she left and went to Bankers Trust which is now Deutsche Bank. Um, But she left and went to Bankers Trust and she took me with her and I just fell in love. Mm -hmm. The idea of money being a product, and in my head, viewing it just the same way that I would a pair of shoes. I've gotta design this financial product, I've gotta figure out how am I gonna get it in someone's hands. And in the process of figuring out how you're gonna get it in someone's hands, you also gotta figure out how is it going to benefit this person? like What is it going to give them? And that whole process was just something that was completely fascinating to me. Um, And, you know, I didn't have much choice in terms of, you know, thinking to it it was obvious, right? I'm a black woman. Um, When I was in the private bank, I was only one of two black people that had officer titles. So. When I left to start my own firm, I was an assistant vice president, which back in those days, that was a you know, pretty big title to eventually get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know any other way because that's always been the environment in which I've worked in, in mm-hmm. terms of being either the only or one of black person in general. And then oftentimes that being one of um, or if not the only black woman. And then on top of that, your viewers might not be able to see this, but you and I have met in person. I've got an afro. I've had this afro <laughs> in different, you know, lengths <laughs> for many, many, many years. Right now it's a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had it imagine back in 1995 having a really, really, really short afro. That wasn't something that was... Um, as often seen in a very conservative environment. And yet that's how I showed up. Mm -hmm. So you were
0: somehow you were not afraid to show up as yourself.
1: I think I eventually got to the point where I realized that I didn't know any other way. So I tried (laughs) showing up as other, you know, as someone else. And then I just realized, well, this doesn't work. And so either I will find the clients that this is not an issue for them um, or I won't work with them. Mm-hmm. So I think it was really more of that than, yeah, I think it was more of that.
0: Mm. And can you talk about a time in your life when you um, you weren't living at, the, at, at your best and you weren't um, sort of taking care of yourself in whatever way that you probably now know you need to, whether that means like being authentic and showing up as yourself or, or other things. But can you kind of walk us through um, when that change happened?
1: Um, I think it's happened several times, yeah. <laughs> as I think is is common, especially when you own a business. But um, I will I will share two, I think, pivotal moments that I think speak to um, things we need to pay attention to. So one moment was when I was working with my very first uh, business coach. And so I highly recommend for any listeners that have a business, um, if you don't work with a coach, I highly recommend doing so because the purpose of the coach is to help you see what you were too close that you cannot see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you cannot identify the ways in which you're getting in the way. And so, as a, as a way of some, a little bit of history, when I first started my firm, Sterling Investment Management, it was to do exactly the work that I had been doing when I was at Bankers Trust. And that is manage money for high net worth individuals and smaller nonprofit organizations that had at a minimum $100,000 of investable assets. So fast forward uh, four years, a little bit less than four years, and I've reached a frustration point. I don't have as much money under management as I thought that I would. I wasn't making as much money as I was making when I was working, you know, at Bankers Trust, and that's the only place I had ever worked. Um, so I kind of grew up, <laughs> you know, mm. earned my wings there. Um, and I was, you know, on the verge of just closing down shop and like, oh, I'm just gonna give this all up and go in house and figure it out. Mm. And yet every single time I got to that threshold, I'd get one more client. And if you know a little bit about the way the compensation works in the financial advisory business, at least the way that I had my practice set up, is I would get paid a percentage of my clients' assets under management. And Mm -hmm. for me, that was a key because that put me on the same side of the table as my clients. When their portfolio went up, I earned more. When Mm -hmm. their portfolio went down, I earned less. So it wasn't based on trading activity Mm -hmm. at all. Um, But every single time that I'd reach that, you know, that threshold and I was about to throw my arms, I'd get one more client. And that one more client or that, you know, perhaps even two additional clients would be just enough to get me through the next quarter or the next, you know, six months. And so... When I went to this coach, I was just at a point of frustration. Like, I I don't know what to do. And he just simply asked the question. And that question was, why are you trying to force this to happen? Meaning you're trying to, you know, grow the investment management side of your business and you're not paying any attention whatsoever to the fact that people are coming to you, asking you to create investment education experiences for them. Now, the reason that that is key is I started my firm in 1995. I started doing workshops in 96. Um, my very first one was for a national nonprofit organization. And I kept getting referral after referral after referral after referral just from that one event. I'm traveling all over the country. You know, At the time, AT&T even hired me to go and do a workshop for their employees that were based in the Caribbean. I was having a ball, mm. but I never looked at it as a business in my mind. this is you know my side project. I'm having a really good time it's supplementing my investment management income. Well, when he asked that question, <laughs> it made me pause um, because you know my ego was all set on mm. I want to be a money manager. Um, but then when I went and looked back at my numbers because I do track my numbers. I was astounded to then discover that I was actually making more money from investment education than I was from investment management. Mm -hmm. So the point in that story, there are several. Number one, <laughs> make sure that when you track stuff that you actually go back and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It wasn't like the information wasn't there, but I wasn't, you know, reviewing it and then asking the right questions that would kind of pop that out. Um, but I also think that what it speaks to is this cultural notion that we have of hard work. Um, There are times, absolutely, when your focus needs to be really intense intense, and you you just need to have, you know, the blinders on and full speed ahead. But I think we get that confused with things having to be hard. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I kept thinking that if it's too easy, I don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was a really, really critical money lesson because I was discounting the effort that was coming to me with ease and giving more credence to the the thing that I was just like banging my head up against a wall trying to make happen. I don't think I'm the only woman that has done that Mm -hmm. or perhaps might be doing that right now. So that would be one thing. Um, another example, also business related, because I think it is through my business that I have learned so many lessons, mm-hmm. financial and life uh, and otherwise, um, is you need to have somebody that's going to pull your coattail and ask you some really tough questions. And I know at some point in time, it was my accountant at the time who said, how much more time are you going to mortgage your life for this business? And that was a wake up call, too. Because, again, I think as entrepreneurs and also perhaps as women, we tend to prioritize sometimes things that are outside of us as opposed to those things, as opposed to taking care of ourselves. Mm. And that was a wake up call to like, okay, I need to figure out how do I do this differently so that I'm not doing that, so that I am not investing absolutely everything into my business and, and not getting the return that I need, let alone the return that I want.
0: Mm. And so you, do you still use a business coach?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: I have a different one, but yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Okay. I want to go into the segment called superpowers for success, and I'm going to ask you a quick round of questions here. Um, as the last part of our show. And the first question is What does success in life mean for you?
1: It means different things at different times. I think right now it means um, figuring out an ideal business model so that when I am 60 and 10 years, God willing, I am not still looking for coaching clients. Doesn't mean that I'm not working with coaching clients, but I am not still looking for coaching clients. There's a difference.
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, I won't have to be marketing yourself so much. hmm hmm Does that mean that you're looking at uh, products in your business that are evergreen as well?
1: I'm still trying to figure it out. I yeah. don't have an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I've got my mind map, if you will. I, I'm a huge visual thinker. Um, so I do have my mind map out in terms of what does that look like.
0: Mm. Okay. And when did you know you were really good at what you do?
1: Honestly, I think I am still um, getting that reinforced. (laughs) Like a couple of weeks ago, I was on a call. And when I finished the call with the client, I was like, Damn, I am really good at what I do. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and why did you
0: feel like that? Was it because of the the client made a breakthrough, or what what yes. what made you feel like that?
1: Yes, because okay. the client had a really big breakthrough. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, affirming that. Oh yeah, I do. I I got this. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. So I don't think for me that there's a singular moment. I'm happy to say that. Those, you know, uh, moments of reinforcement happen. um, I'm not going to say every day, but it happens with enough frequency that I no longer doubt my ability of doing what I do.
0: Mm -hmm. And can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being? Can I cheat and say two? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> um, one is running. I am an avid runner and I run uh, anywhere from five to six times a week. In the last year and change, I've probably have run over a thousand miles. <laughs> so, um, the di- and I run outside, which is, is a, a big deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm not hopping in, I'm not going into a gym. And running on a treadmill. And so it's a big deal because I'm not letting in the winter, I'm not letting the cold stop me in the summer. I'm not letting the heat stop me. You know, I'm sensible about it, um, but I'm not letting it stop me. Mm. So yeah, I just went to my running app. I've run 1,078 miles. Wow. Um, So what's uh, what's your other,
0: what's the other one you wanted to give? Meditate. Ah, Yeah
1: meditate every day. And even if I don't, uh, get a chance to do like my full, allotted time, just pausing for a moment to just like, check in with myself from a breathing standpoint, I think is really, 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 really critical.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is. And you can only get to that point once you have practiced it so that you can just kind of do a, a quick check in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time?
1: You know, it's really funny. Um, what superpower? I'm thinking of a behaviorist as my superpower, but I don't know yeah. if that's a superpower. If, if you agree, then that's my superpower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, I think of it as something that comes really easily to you that you can help others with.
1: Oh, So then I absolutely behaviorist. And when I unpack that, um, for me, what that means is I am, I would like to give myself credit for being a really good listener. And I think that that has been proven out by the fact that I hear not just what is said, but also what is unsaid. And that helps me to hone in on helping my clients see things that they cannot see so clearly on their own. Mm.
0: Okay. And um, what do you do when you get knocked down? How do you respond to, to sort of a blow in your life in your work or in your personal life?
1: Sometimes I cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, some, sometimes you just got to take the punch. Uh, and sometimes that punch means crying. Sometimes that punch means I need to go for an extra run Sometimes that punch means sitting down and being quiet and figuring out, did I see it coming and I just didn't pay attention to the clues? Did this really, you know, come out of nowhere? Mm. Um, And sometimes it just simply means, you know what, S happens, you can't control everything. So what do I need to do to, to protect myself the next time around? And
0: what advice would you give your 25 or 30 year old self?
1: To trust myself more, to have more uh, confidence in what I do and how I do it, and to embrace my difference.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. And Jacquette, do you identify as a feminist?
1: I don't necessarily call myself a feminist, but I have to say that I think it's hard pressed for uh, any black woman to not be a feminist.
0: And so you just don't identify necessarily with the word.
1: Yes. And, and I think that part of that is because there are so many different uh, interpretations of the word. There are so many different waves of the word. Um, First, you know, first wave, second wave, third wave, I guess we're now in maybe fourth or fifth wave, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but again, I just think that as a Black woman in America, it's really kind of hard for you not to be a feminist mm-hmm. and to not be someone that is standing for um, equality and um, recognition and, you know, just hear me, see me. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, treat me fairly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Last quick question. What are you reading right now? Like what's on your nightstand?
1: So I have a really bad habit of reading um, multiple books at a time. Mm -hmm. So right now I have the book Pivot by a really dear friend of mine, Jenny Blake. It's not yet released, but it will be in a couple of weeks. I was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy. So I'm reading her book Pivot. Um, and I'm not reading it from the standpoint of changing careers because I love what I do. but I am reading it um, because I think regardless of what you do, whether you work as an employee or you own a business, um, whether or not you're thinking of making a change or things are cool, you always need to you know amplify your toolkit in terms of how do you prepare um, for the forks in the road. Sometimes those that you can that you create on your own, and and other times you are responding to one that has been created for you. So I'm reading that right now. So again, that's Pivot by Jenny Blake, and then I'm also um, reading a book called Perfect Joy, and that's Thirty Days with Francis of Assisi, because mm-hmm. um, I just also like you know reading things that keep me ground it from a uh, spiritual standpoint.
0: Mm. Cool. Well, I really have enjoyed talking to you this afternoon. I'm looking forward to getting the, the, the financial wheel and we'll have that. We'll have links to that on the show notes for listeners. And, um, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really, really have enjoyed our conversation and I appreciate that we had time, uh, to dive into some things.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's it for our show today. I've been speaking with Jaquette Timmons, financial behaviorist, founder of Sterling Investment Management, Inc., and author of Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate. I spoke with Jaquette about the importance of communication with your financial and romantic partners, how to adjust your money-making decisions for greater success, and the importance of being true to yourself. You can get Jaquette's free financial wheel exercise at wellwomanlife.com slash 032 show. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings together women to share our successes and challenges as leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email me at info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes, and while you're there, leave a review. This helps raise visibility for the show, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week for you. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at facebook.com groups slash Well Woman Life community. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Jamana Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.